Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. You don't understand. This is a liar. How can you think that I'm her dad, but we both look exactly the same age? We do not look the same age. I was being kind. Wait, I'm going to hypnotize him. I hereby christen this mutton Barbie camper Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Hello and welcome to this first episode of series two and it's not just the first episode of series two it's also the first episode of 2023 have i used the word episode too many times in this introduction probably am i going to stop using it possibly (laughs) as i close things off last year i did promise an extra special episode to kick things off for series two and that's what this is the first ever or inaugural Pop Goes the Tam Tam film review. Obviously, from the title of this episode, you know that we're going to be discussing Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. But I'm not going to be discussing it alone. Oh no. I have with me the first extra special guest of 2023. Announce yourself, special guest. Hi, it's Tamsin's mum. That's right, Tamsin's mum is in the building, and as we established, she also has a name. Nick. Welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. This is it. You expected. Mystery. Get your hand off of that. You expected a puzzle. But for long to listen on this island. This is not a game. Will you explain it to us then, Detective? First of all, we need to talk about how much we love cosy crimes. We do. We consider ourselves to be cosy crime aficionados. Excellent. For anyone listening who isn't familiar with the genre of cosy crime, think Agatha Christie, Midsummer Murders, Miss Marple, Murder She Wrote, Columbo, Death in Paradise, uh, Madame Blanc, Madame Blanc. Uh... I mean, the list goes on. on. The list goes on and on. The point is, we are aficionados. We love crazy crime. We love crazy crime. In fact, I love crazy crime so much, I wrote one. (laughs) (laughs) So we feel like we are fully immersed in the genre. We also really enjoyed the first Knives Out mystery. Yeah, we did. Very much so. So we came to this with a love for the genre, and some interest in the previous story. So I have to say, anyone listening now, there are going to be spoilers. So if you don't want to know what happens in the film, don't listen to this review. Well, you could. Well, I mean, you could, yeah. But, you know. (laughs) You're only going to spoil it for yourself. Do not blame us for your own spoiled enjoyment. Dear friends, my beautiful disruptor is my closest inner circle. We could all use a moment of normalcy, and so you are cordially invited for a long weekend on my private island. Where we will celebrate the bonds that connect us, and I hope your puzzle-solving skills are whetted. Ah! Because you will also be competing to solve the mystery (laughs) of my murder. 
Benoit Blanc is played by Daniel Craig in the most insane Southern American accent that I've ever heard. Yeah. It is bonkers and must be listened to to be believed. Post James Bond, it seems like Daniel Craig is having the time of his life in this role. So we follow Benoit Blanc from his last case, which was Knives Out, which was a staple of the cosy crime genre, which is a locked room story in which a murder has taken place in a room that no one else but the victim could possibly have been in. This case is set during the 2020 early days of the pandemic. Benoit turns up on, what are we going to call it, Mysterious Island? Yeah. So he turns up on this Greek mysterious island of a, let's be honest, it's Elon Musk. Can we say that? Or you could say an Elon Musk type character. An Elon Musk type character, Miles Braun, who is played by Edward Norton. I have to be honest, I'm not a fan of Edward Norton. I've seen a lot of stuff he's done, never really been that impressed by him. I actually thought he was really good in this. Yeah, he came across... I mean, he played a blinder as a totally obnoxious, overprivileged person. I agree. And also as somebody who's pretending to be intelligent when they're not. Mm. And we have all met those people. And they do tend to look like Ed Norton. (laughs) Now, as we know, all good cosy crimes need a roster of characters to be killed, be a red herring, or to be the actual murderer. So Miles and Benoit are joined on the island by Kate Hudson, who plays Birdie J, a former model turned sweatpants designer, Dave Bautista as Duke Cody, a man's rights YouTuber, Catherine Hahn as Claire DeBella, a politician, Leslie Odom Jr. as Lionel Toussaint, a scientist working on a new sort of fuel, Jessica Henwick as Peg, Birdie's assistant, Madeleine Klein as a whisker. <laughs> I love how whiskey. you say it. Whisker. Whisker. <laughs> Duke's girlfriend. And the final guest is Janelle Monet as Cassandra, Andy Brand, Miles's former business partner. So we enjoyed some of the performances more than others. We did. We really enjoyed Kate Hudson. Oh, she was so good. It was quite a throwaway role. And in the hands of anyone else, I think it would have been very annoying. Definitely. She gave it some depth didn't she? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She did give it a little bit of depth because I think there's a scene when she's on the Sun Loungers with her assistant Peg and she basically talks about how she preferred Miles when he wasn't famous, Mm. when he needed her. Yeah. And it just provides this little bit of depth and you see her mask actually slip. Yeah, it just slipped. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting because she's also really funny as well. 
Yeah. I could totally imagine Goldie Horn in this role. Absolutely. And she does a pretty good Goldie Horn interpretation. She does. But with her own twist. Yeah. And I would also say I love her fashions. Oh, so do I. Because something that, for me, hovers over this film is very much the adaptation the big screen adaptation of evil under the sun which starred dame diana rigg dame maggie smith and peter ustinoff and for me that adaptation very much informs on glass onion i would agree even down to things like the styling and that's picked up i would say in the pajama set that we first meet birdie wearing at that party in the beginning of the film that feels very much kind of 1930s loungewear for me but what also crosses over for me is that the rainbow coloured dress she actually wears for the majority of the film is very much to my mind Halston inspired and so the hair that she has at the start of the film feels very much like Halston 70s curls Studio 54 but there's also a sort of Kate Moss top shop era in this as well thrown in for good measure but it, although it sounds like a hodgepodge it really does work it really does work yeah it really works and her character is yes quite one note but she plays that note really really well the other person that we thought was really good was Janelle Monet. So spoiler, but you've come this far, so you obviously don't care about spoilers, listeners. Janelle Monet is playing a dual role. So she's playing Andy, and she's also playing Andy's twin sister, Helen, in this. And I would say there's a distinct difference between Andy and Helen. And I would say Janelle Monet portrays that really well they don't feel like the same person she does a good job yeah she's funny she's angry she's vulnerable she's a vulnerable yeah she manages to put so much into this performance and you kind of from the minute it's revealed who she really is and why she's on this quest you you're You're on her side i'd say exactly you're completely on her side your sympathies are with her Mm. yeah and And that that's that's an achievement for any any actor. I would say so, yeah. And she's just really, really great in the role. And we noticed that Cassandra and Helen are famous figures from Greek mythology and are both involved in the whole myth of Troy. The Trojan Wars. The yeah. Trojan Wars. Where Cassandra, the myth of that sort of links in with Andy is that Andy went to court to prove that she actually owned the company that Miles runs and not Miles. And that her idea was the fundamental starting point for that company to become successful. Exactly. And no one would believe her. No. And none of the people on that island uh, stood up for her at all. Well, they all perjured themselves. They did. With the exclusion of the characters Benoit, Peg and... (laughs) All the other characters sided with Miles because he had leverage over them. Blackmail. Blackmail. I also really enjoyed the reveal that... 
Whiskey. Was not what she first appeared to be because she's painted as being essentially your classic blonde bimbo and as Helen gets to walk around the island with her she learns more about her and what she realises is that Whiskey is using both Miles and Duke for her own benefit to further her own career. She's a manipulator. She's a manipulator but also she's intelligent Mm. and I like that reveal. And finally... I just want to say, I thought the chemistry between Catherine Hahn and Leslie Odom Jr. as Claire and Lionel was fire. Sizzled. It really did. For the whole thing, I thought they were having an affair. Not the actors, obviously, but the characters. Now, we've introduced the characters, we've introduced the island. Let's talk about the actual introduction of the film, because this for both of us, were where the wheels began to come off. Mm -hmm. Because when we started watching the film, I think it was about 20 minutes in before anything actually happened. And there are two introductions to these characters. There's the first one. The characters that I've listed receive puzzle boxes from Miles. And they have to solve this puzzle. They all do it over the phone working together. And it kind of tells you a little bit about their personalities, their sort of skill sets, that sort of information. When they have solved the puzzle, they receive a invitation to the island, a getaway from COVID. This is very sort of dodgy behaviour at the time. So that also tells you that rules do not apply to these people. No. They don't think rules apply to them at all. No. When we're introduced to them again is on the dock in Greece. And I felt how they wore their masks, how they interacted with each other, was a better way of actually introducing them as characters than the first segment with the puzzle. I agree. Because the beginning was far too long-winded. You could have just seen one person or whatever... A shot of them all and then the one puzzle box being opened but it was so long-winded well you could have had a flashback to when when they're good. in the glass onion and they're actually talking ben wob solved the puzzle you could have a flashback to show how everybody else solved it yeah that would have been good it was a great shorthand how we met those people on the dock mm. and you're so right it why introduce them twice was the dock stuff the original introduction and then they felt like oh people won't get this so they did another one I I think you're right I think that's probably what did happen they probably didn't feel confident enough to to go in like that so they thought they'd sort of overcompensate with that extra beginning but it left me cold however I I did enjoy the doc scene and like you I thought it was a very good introduction to the different characters it was quite yeah I enjoyed that So let's take a moment to really unpack why we actually thought that that was a better introduction to the characters. Because for me, I felt that it was in the way they wore their masks. Mm. So for instance, you had Benoit, who had a perfect spotty mask that really complemented his clothes. Coordinating. Coordinated, and it fitted well. You had the scientist, and he was wearing an FFP2 mask. Yeah which 
fitted well, but also it coordinated with his clothes. Yeah. So he's a scientist. He knows exactly the sort of mask he needs to get. Then you had the politician and she came out of her taxi and her mask was halfway down her face. Yeah. Her nose was exposed mm. and the, the mask was loose and flapping and she might as well have not been wearing it really. Yeah, pointless. Yeah, and it was also beige. Yeah, it was beige. And I think that was really interesting because everything she wore... Was beige. Was a beige, yeah, it was beige. That was her whole... Colour palette. Her whole colour palette was beige. I love that because it was so telling about the sort of person she was. She obviously felt that she couldn't wear any colours. Because if she did, what if it's red? What if it's blue? The association. The association with colours. And so she got herself into a situation where everything was just beige. Even the mask she's wearing is beige. I love that. You then had Birdie, who had... Well, she didn't have a mask. What she had was a piece of decorative net across her face. Her assistant, Peg, was wearing a mask. But it was one of those masks that you sort of get in a hospitality situation. And then finally, the last two characters, Duke and Whiskey, they were not wearing masks at all. And when they greeted everybody, they broke boundaries. Protocol. They broke social distancing protocols. And Duke went in for a hug with Birdie. And I just thought, well, that tells you everything about their characters. Everything. Now, just before we get off the subject of characters, I wanted to raise something which was cameos. There were a lot of cameos and the majority of them I felt didn't work and the ones I felt really worked were obviously Angela Lansbury. The greatest cosy crimer of them all. Exactly. And just, well, the goat of most things. Um, Hugh Grant as Philip. That was funny. Who was Benoit's husband. And I'm going to say this. I really, really, really want the sequel to come to the UK and to have more Philip in it and for Philip's surname to be Noir. (laughs) (laughs) And Serena Williams. That was a good one. Because there was this moment where Benoit and Helen are talking to each other about what's going on in the gym. And behind them, well, between them, really, there's this, you think it's this static image of Serena Williams. And they are basically talking about why they've come to the island and what they've discovered so far. And then Serena Williams is like, I'm on the clock here. Do you want to do a session? I love that. It was quite amusing. It was very funny. And I was going to say, I kind of wished that Serena Williams had been the one to call the police to the island. That would have been so good. And when the police got there, they were like, Serena Williams called us. She saw some stuff was going down. What else has she been putting to? (laughs) So those are the cameos that work for us. The rest did not work for us. Just so, so. Yeah. Have we started already? Well, the murder hasn't happened. Oh, but... Yeah, why not? As Watson said to Holmes, it was Birdie. So, we've discussed the characters, but obviously the key to every cosy crime is the murder and the mystery. So, let's discuss the murders first, because there are two victims. (laughs) (laughs) 
I can't believe I said that either. I feel like I've stepped into... I feel like this is a true crime podcast. So let us talk about the murders. <laughs> I bet you always wished you could say that. Did I? I don't mm, know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Unless I'm talking about my own murders. Oh, no. <laughs> don't tell everyone. Um... So there are two murders in this, and it's one of my favourite genre conventions. I love it too. Which is a murder hiding... A murder. A murder within a murder. So the murder that we see on the island is Duke is poisoned. He's allergic to pineapple juice. He drinks... Cocktail. Laced with pineapple juice, and he dies. Now... There's a couple of things I want to say about this. Firstly, you can really smell canned pineapple juice because it honks. Mm. And if you were allergic to something, because you're allergic to fish, mm-hmm. you're hyper aware. Oh, yes. And so I think he might have smelt it as he lifted it to his to his face. It's also got a consistency, I'd say, pineapple juice. It's a bit oily. Yeah, that's true. And I think it was mixed in with whiskey. Whiskey. <laughs> and the... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got to stop laughing. We're talking about people's deaths. I mean, they're fictional, but you know. <laughs> and the other victim that Duke's death is concealing is Andy. So the reason why Janelle Monet is playing two roles, we find out I'd say at the halfway mark of the film, which is Andy has been, well, it looks like suicide, but Helen doesn't believe it. So Andy was found hopped up on sleeping pills and in her car, having suffered from a mixture of overdose and carbon monoxide poisoning. So she is deceased. Helen seeks out Benoit, and basically asked him to help her prove that someone on the island killed her sister. So that's the reason why Helen is pretending to be Andy, because Benoit basically sat on the news that she was Andy's dead and has kept it out of the papers long enough for no one on the island to know apart from the killer. Mm. So I have to say, when I watched the film... I kind of guessed that Miles was the overall, I mean, he is the overall bad guy, but I kind of guessed that Miles killed Duke because there was, you actually saw him put his drink down in front of him. Mm. And I kind of thought, I yeah, I thought that was just too much. And from the outset, it was pretty obvious that he had murdered Andy because he was the only person there really that had that much to gain by murdering someone because everything would fall to pieces well everything would fall to pieces because the reason why he kills her is that after the court case she couldn't produce the napkin napkin that basically had all the ideas for the company on them she was unable to produce that she lost the court case because of that and because people lied however 
she does eventually find it. She puts it on an envelope, she puts it online, she sends an email out to all of the people on the island saying, basically, I found the proof. He goes over to her house and he kills her. He's got these interlinked fax machines. Yes. On the way back, he almost kills Duke in a car accident. So Duke is driving to Andy's house on his motorbike and Miles almost pancakes him on the road to quote quote, and a couple of times duke is on the point of saying things so like he says oh do you remember that time you almost pancaked me outside of andy's and then miles comes in and says yeah addison cooper also he has google alerts on his phone that ping for news he is the first person on the island that's duke to know that the real andy's dead and that an imposter is on the island mm. and he shows it to miles and basically signs his own death signs warrant. his own death warrant because what he asks for is hey look at this can we talk about me getting involved in alpha news it's blackmail i kind of liked the way the blackmail was put in that was really interesting i thought but i thought the actual mechanism of him so miles killing duke was poorly executed i saw it yeah and i usually don't i mean you're the one who always guesses who the killer is and i never do and i saw it and i was like oh he's the killer Mm. it was right there really obvious so you didn't think he was the killer from the outset no i didn't (laughs) you did yeah (laughs) of course you did (laughs) i also think other than the reveal that Helen is not Andy. There were a lot less twists and turns with this Knives Out mystery than the first one. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I I don't get it really because they put a lot of effort, obviously, into setting up about the puzzle invitation box. Yeah, but I think the point of the puzzle invitation box was, I think the whole, the whole plot of this really revolves around that because Miles himself did not design those puzzles no miles himself didn't design anything because what hangs in the middle of this is the fact that he steals or uses other people's ideas and takes credit for them Mm. okay yeah and so the puzzles were just another um totem of that is how he operates If he has to think of something to do himself, he'll just, I don't know, get his glass, fill it with pineapple juice and then hand it to Duke and watch him die. (laughs) That's not the best plan in the world. It's not super brain, is it? It's not super brain, no. And if Duke had had, I don't know, an oral factual system, he would have realised that there was pineapple in the glass. And it comes back to... All of Miles' plans, bar one, are dumb and he has to even steal the one half-decent plan he's got from someone else. I mean, that's really what all of this hinges on. Yeah. He is dumb and he's one of those people that tells everybody in the room how great he is. I mean, you see that, you see the effect he has on people, the way he speaks. The words he uses, they're all ridiculous. He's just word salad and word salad spelled incorrectly a lot of it. <laughs> and yet, because he tells you enough what a genius he is, who he it. is, 
you believe it and you see the people in the room start to doubt what they are seeing, even though they have seen the most basic sleight of hand take place in front of them. It's kind of find the lady flim flam, isn't it? But it's not even that good. No, it's not. The lady's not even in a box. It's literally just, he's literally just got it, put it in front of you and then moved it slightly to the left. That's it. (laughs) You know, that is it. And so I think the writer, Ryan Johnson, I think he's trying to say the reason why this is such a basic mystery is because Miles is a basic man. And for me, that is a real cop-out and a sign perhaps of a writer that was less invested in the mystery and more invested in some of the characters than he had been in the first Knives Out. I mean, I think the first Knives Out is watchable over and over again. I think so too. And is enjoyable even though you know who the killer is it's still enjoyable because it's a well put together locked room mystery it's amusing with this one it felt like there was a lot of different cozy crime elements coming into it because i would say alongside evil under the sun there's another agatha christie that i feel this references which is then there were none with the island setting the problem is that it doesn't have any of the claustrophobia it's not claustrophobic you don't at any point feel like you're stranded on this island and there's no way off Mm. it feels like Cluedo, the film, it feels like Clue, the film, where there's no real sense of jeopardy. No, there's absolutely no no sense of jeopardy at all. Do you think that the lack of jeopardy is, is because of where the death was positioned in the film, that it perhaps came too late and it should have come in earlier? Yeah, I agree. I mean, really... I I was surprised there were so few dead people. Mm. And people are going to hear that. And if you're not a crazy crime fan, you'll be thinking, my God, they're so callous. But I totally thought that Peg, the assistant, was either involved in some way with Miles. You thought that she was his daughter, didn't you? I did. Yeah. And when she disappeared for ages in at the end, and then she came in and she was like, what? I thought either she's dead or she's now going to be revealed to be the accomplice. Mm. Neither of that happened. Uh-huh. And so I thought she was probably going to die. I think you're right. I think Duke's death coming in where it did, it was a bit too late. It was. So you didn't get that feeling of fear? No. And it would have been interesting because we saw in Knives Out that Ryan Johnson has the ability to shift between genres. He has that. There were some moments that were quite ghastly Mm. and they're in that film. And there are also some moments that are quite funny and very insightful. I wanted that here and I didn't get it. I also wonder if the teeth were taken out of the mystery due to the fact that Netflix were involved and this was a tentpole film for their holiday period for people to sort of gather around and watch essentially an innocent murder if that makes sense that's a bit timid though yeah but I do wonder 
if that was the reason why it was defanged. I have to say, I know that Netflix has signed a two-movie deal with Ryan Johnson and Daniel Craig. And I have to say, for the next one, I kind of think after Chris Evans and now Edward Norton, if we end up with another high-profile male character as the obvious killer, then I'm just going to rage quit. Disappointing, (laughs) disappointing. disappointing. We want someone we've never heard of. They were the killer. (laughs) And we want a sort of Janet Lee psycho situation where, you know, the really expensive actor with their name just after Daniel Craig's, that's the one that gets killed in the first five minutes. I mean, that's what we want. I don't think there were anywhere near enough red herrings in this film. And there was one thing that has bugged me right the way through, and that is the safety screen on the Mona Lisa painting. I was convinced that something was going to happen with that, a decapitation, or someone was (laughs) going to get trapped inside. But no, it was just a snazzy sound effect. And that was really disappointing. Yeah, we kind of, we were looking for Chekhov gun. But in the end, I think the fact that the Mona Lisa was in the room, because they couldn't really prove that he had killed Andy. That was off the table. And they couldn't really prove that Andy had created Alpha and he had lied. That was off the table. But the fact that he burnt down the Mona Lisa with that fuel, coupled with... Duke's death and the fact that the other surviving characters on the island essentially said no more and realised that Miles's career and reputation were ruined so they didn't have to cling to him for support anymore. That was the end of Miles and the Mona Lisa so I think the Chekhov's gun the whole time was that maybe that was the final mystery Mm. was that once he'd burnt the napkin and once the other characters in the room had started to side back with him again because they didn't have a choice what was the next obvious thing for Helen to do to to get even and to get revenge and to get what her sister deserved which was justice as we head to wrap up this first ever Pop Goes the Tan Tan review, I just wanted to get your overall opinion of Glass Onion. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a, yeah, it was a good piece of cosy crime hokum, but it didn't match up to the first one for me. Yeah, I would agree. I would add to that, it was really nice to see a cosy crime with such a big budget because we're so used to it being on TV. And it was nice to see a film with such a big budget. It's quite glossy. It was very glossy. And since we're on the subject of glossy, I just want to say, I know that I read a lot of people saying that they were surprised by the fact that Hugh Grant is um, playing Benoit's husband, Philip. But I wasn't surprised at all because Benoit (laughs) cosplays for the venue that he's in. So in the first film, it was all very Dark Academy tweeds. And then in this one, it's Club Tropicana. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me this man's not gay. And when we're getting into that subject... Colour-coordinated mask. I loved his wardrobe. It was amazing. I would wear those clothes myself. 
So what would you give this film an overall score out of 10? Four and a half. Four and a half, yeah. I think if I hadn't watched the original one, I might have given it more. But because I'm comparing it, I think, to the other one, yeah, I'm marking it down a little bit. Okay. I would say kind of the same for you, although I actually think if you hadn't watched the first one, this second one would be a little bit incomprehensible with the Benoit character. That's very true. So I'm not sure it would even work on that level for no, me. that's very true. Because they didn't really do any setup of his character. No, they didn't. Yeah, it's all assumption that you see in the... The first film. one, yeah, exactly. So I'm not sure it would work on that level for me. I mean, I think if it was that, I'd drop it down to like a two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd say for me, the perfect conditions to watch this film are a Sunday afternoon when it's raining it's raining like january is the perfect time to watch this you know because it's sunny it's bright nothing happens of any consequence within it and yet grossed out are you it's really still very enjoyable so i completely agree with your four out of ten (laughs) oh so all it remains for me to say is thank you for joining me for this First ever film review. First ever review of 2023. Lots of firsts. Long may they continue. Exactly. Thank you. Farewell, adieu. Thank you.